This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The title of the book, The Future of Clean Energy, Who Wins and Who Loses as the World Goes Green. And joining me is author Gary Schwindeman, who joins me from near Phoenix, Arizona, in the United States of America. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you. Pleasure to visit with you. Your book is uh, extensive, but before I get into the book itself, let me give a little more of your your personal background. You have uh, a doctorate degree and uh, been involved in education for a number of years, including 17 years as the Dean of College and Business Administration at the University of Nebraska. Uh, You worked at the General Motors Institute and several other institutes of higher learning. Why did you become interested or focus on energy as uh, a topic? I know that you also are involved in a, a an investment uh, firm that focuses on this this area. Well, uh, I was dean of the College of Business at the University of Nebraska, and they were one of the leaders in producing the alternate fuel ethanol because in the United States it's made out of corn. So I knew a lot about uh, the making of ethanol. And uh, I was interested in whether a person could make money on it. And the answer was no, because it needed government subsidies to, uh, to be um, uh, useful. But what happened is that they computerized the ethanol plants, and I was visiting one, one day, a new one. And uh, it used to cost about $3 a gallon to make ethanol, and I asked him, how much does it cost to make a gallon of ethanol? They said $1. Wow. And gas was at the time one dollar and twenty five cents, you mm-hmm. know. And if you can make twenty five cents on a gallon and sell a few gallons, there's real money in it. So we raised money from farmers and started a uh, investment fund, which did very well because the worth of ethanol is competitive with uh, gasoline. Gasoline prices went up, and uh, we did very well, and the farmers did very well, and uh, we learned a lot about it. Now, and then uh, we got into wind and solar and so forth, and I decided to write a book on it because energy is so important. Uh, you mentioned in your book that ethanol is not gasoline as such. Can ethanol be used 100% in place as a replacement for gasoline, or is it always blended? It's always blended uh, in the United States. It can be blended either as 15% ethanol and 85% gasoline, or 85% uh, ethanol and 15% gasoline. Another large producer is Brazil, and they produce so much that one time they uh, did have 100% ethanol cars, and you can use 100% ethanol, but it's made out of sugar there, and the sugar price went so high that they didn't have any ethanol. Mm. So they couldn't run the car, so they learned their lesson there. And now it always has to be blended. So you can use full gasoline, you can use 15% ethanol, or you can use 85% ethanol. And ethanol itself, is is that also, is it uh, accurate to say that that is an alcohol-based product, or is it just the, uh, the, the corn leftover that is uh, an alcohol-based product? It is pure alcohol. 
absolutely pure alcohol. And uh, there's a law that they have to put gasoline in it within 24 hours so that the fraternity boys don't learn where it is <laughs> and uh, steal one of the train cars. <laughs> wow. You you also mentioned your, your book is quite extensive. Uh, it, it has 216 pages, and uh, you've gone into great depth. And from my understanding, you've tried to simplify this so that plain people like me can actually understand the complexity of the energy crisis that has uh, plagued the, the world over the years. You uh, mention also in your book that hybrids and electric cars may not be the car of the future. Is that also correct? Well, I think, yes, it is, it is correct. And all one has to do to figure out what's going on there is to look at when gas prices get high, what happens. Mm. All you have to do is look at Europe, where the gas prices are 7 and $8 a gallon, and what they're driving there are small internal combustion engine cars. And you see more and more of those in the United States, and uh, we'll continue to see those. One of the things people forget, and I was at the General Motors Research Institute, is that the internal combustion engine, which started with Henry Ford, is now still improving in terms of miles. There are small cars that now get 60 miles a gallon, which is more than you get in a hybrid. Uh, the other thing is that there's a high cost in batteries, but if you want real evidence about the uh, electrics and the hybrids being used, there is a... a, a a trade-in. If people quit using these alternative cars, hybrids, plug-in hybrids, and electrics, when they trade them in, only 50% of the people buy another alternative car. Interesting. And, 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 and so what that tells you is that 50% of the people who are driving the alternative cars are not satisfied with them, and they're not going to buy another one. Well, that tells you something about not just the technical part of the car, but the experience of driving it. Mm. And the other thing that's happening with, with these alternative cars is that they are heavily subsidized by the government. Uh, in the United States, uh, they're subsidized up to $7,500, and uh, that runs out when uh, a dealer has sold 200000 or a company sold 200000 so that's eventually going to run out. Hmm. That happened in Japan. Hybrids were selling big, and when the government took off the subsidy, the sales went to about 5% of what they used to be, and the same thing's going to happen in the United States. And the cost of batteries, uh, replacement, replacement batteries, is really, really high uh, over the cost of replacing an engine, is it not? It's, uh, it's extremely high. In fact... If you say, what's the problem with the hybrids, the plug-in hybrids, and the electrics, in one word, it's batteries. Mm. Well, it's and the second one is the pleasure of driving. And that's why only 50% of the people who turn in an alternative car buy a new one. So if you want to buy an alternative car, what you do is go to somebody who's driven one for two years and they trade it on and you get it for 50% of the new price. Wow. Nuclear energy. That's the big message. What, what, did, what, what have you uh, d- displayed or, or talked about uh, relating to nuclear? There's a lot of uh, concern about that type of energy and its uh, effect on the environment. How do you view it? 
Well, if you look at nuclear power as opposed to all the other ways of electricity, the first point is that nuclear power is just at the beginning of its development. Hmm. If you look at all other ways of electricity, they're, uh, with the exception of solar, they're about 100% as efficient as they're going to be. With nuclear power, uh, they're only about 20% as efficient as they're going to be. And let me just tell you about a few developments in nuclear power. There is a nuclear power reactor as big as a hot tub wow. that can produce electricity for 20,000 people. It's buried underground. It doesn't have to be refueled for 10 years. It's completely safe, and it produces electricity for 20,000 people. Now, let's say you have a town of 20,000 people somewhere in Africa. All you do is go in, you put one of these hot side, uh, hot tubs in the ground. Right. Now, everybody has electricity. There are 3 billion people in the world who do not have either electricity or adequate electricity. 3 billion What's going to happen as soon as these uh, hot tub-sized reactors are on an assembly line is they're going to be made and shipped all over the world and put in place. They don't have to be refueled for 10 years. Now, here's another new development, and this one is backed by Bill Gates. He is developing with his team a reactor that uses as fuel nuclear waste. Hmm. Wow. That ends the nuclear waste problem when this particular reactor gets underway. And I think it will be successful because it, it depends on how much capital you can put in it. And unless I miss my guess, Gates has a little bit of capital. A possibility. Boy, that, so that, those that's are, amazing. Those are a couple of the things. Uh, a third thing is, a third thing is that all of the all of the uh, nuclear power plants now, the big ones, have a containment facility that contains any radiation from escaping 14 feet thick with steel. Right. Now, one of the crises was Three Mile Islands, right? Right. How many people died in the Three Mile Island crisis? Zero. How many died from uh, nuclear exposure in Fukushima? Zero, Zero died. How many people have ever died from nuclear power uh, exposure in the United States since the beginning? Zero. Zero. How many people have died in the United States from dams breaking? 7,000. That's an amazing statistic. You uh, you have also touched on wind, on wind power and Europe. Uh, I've traveled to Europe uh, several times and just got back from Italy a while back, and the wind turbines are everywhere. What is your perspective on their energy usage and their energy uh, bend towards wind power and ours? Well, wind power is never going to be used produced baseload power. Hmm. And here's why. If you uh, take a large nuclear power plant, the, the kind that you say, which are, which are now safe, uh, 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 the, the uh, problem of Three Mile Island wasn't a crisis or a disaster. It was a demonstration 
of how safe nuclear power plants are because the average radiation that a person got is the same as a dense x-ray. Now, when you look at wind, for small communities or small production of electricity, it works. But to equal a nuclear power plant, you have to have 270 square miles of windmills. Wow. 270 square miles. The reason you have to have them is wind is only 33% effective. Coal is 100% effective in the terms that it always turns out electricity. Natural gas always turns out electricity. Nuclear energy always turns out electricity. Water turns out electricity. But a windmill turns out electricity 33% of the time. Now, solar will also be used on houses and small applications, but it can't equal the amount put out by one nuclear power plant unless you have 70 square miles of solar panels. So both wind and solar will be used for small applications, but they will never replace a nuclear power plant. And the nuclear power plants are going to get more and more efficient. One of the problems with nuclear power is if you look it up, go Google, Google, you see a picture of a nuclear power plant, and then you see a picture of an atomic explosion. Well, people don't understand it. It's explained in the book. A nuclear power plant cannot explode because the uranium in a nuclear power plant is only enriched 5%. To make an atomic weapon, it has to be enriched 90%. So it is physically impossible for a nuclear power plant to, to blow up. This is fascinating information. There, there's a great emotional, uh, I, I think... Uh, I don't, I don't know if the word attachment is correct, but a, a great emotional response, I guess it would be, to nuclear power and also to the wind turbines. And wind turbines themselves are not necessarily environmentally friendly, from what I have read. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, they are. Anything that covers 270 square miles is not going to be environmentally sound. And anything that covers 70 square miles is not going to be environmentally sound. The major problem with nuclear power is solved by reading my book. Because the major problem with nuclear power is that people have not been educated on it. And the difference between my book and a lot of other books you read is that I was a professor, and what a good professor does is to take very complicated issues and put them in words that the average reader, the common reader, the person with a high school education can read it. And what I've done is taken all of the 50-cent words out of the book. I've also taken out all of the formulas. So the important thing is they understand it conceptually, they understand some facts about it, and the people I've talked to who have read the book's just been published say the thing that I like the best about the book is that I could read it, I could understand it, and I could keep the important 
part in my head because uh, you read an, uh, some book on nuclear energy and you get about three pages and there are formulas. So this book was designed for the common person. It looks like from the reviews that that's exactly what we're doing because there is such great misperception. But one time through the book, and you'll see why nuclear power is the electricity producer of the future. There's no doubt about it. You've included a lot of graphs and uh, uh, sketches, those types of things that are uh, an ad- addendum to your your text. How long did it take you, Gary, to complete the book? Well, it took about two and a half years. Uh, and one of the reasons is that I had all the information, but just information, we have an overload of information, and what's critical is that you formulate it and communicate it in a way that people can understand. And so we went through a great deal of editing and had a lot of people read it and ask them, is there something in here you don't understand? And if they said, yes, we rewrite it. And so that's why it took uh, uh, two and a half years to write. Phenomenal. But we think the finished product is probably the best book on clean energy, not because it has the best information in it, but because people can understand it. Well, thank you for sharing this story. And the title, again, is The Future of Clean Energy. My guest, author Gary Schwindeman. Let me spell that name for you in case you're doing a search online. It's S-C-H-W-E-N-D-I-M-A-N. Dr. Schwindeman, where can they get copies of your book? They can order it on Amazon, either by uh, looking at my name or the name of the book, The Future of Clean Energy. Phenomenal task completing this, and uh, certainly an important read for anybody that has some concerns about the environment and uh, perhaps the future of of energy. I love the title, The Future of Clean Energy, not just a a paper with opinions in it, but wonderfully researched. Thank you again, Gary, for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you. It was a pleasure. For Author Talk, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Ethereal Mantras, Affirmations, and Notions for Placid and Peaceful Earth Plane Transversal. And the author, 
We'll call him no one, but his real name, the secret to no one, is Anthony Rogers, and Anthony joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Anthony. Hello. Great. How are you? Great to have you with us. Now, we're going to get a better understanding in a bit here about why you used no one as the author's name on your front cover, but it is a big title, but there's a lot of meaning into all those words that you shared with us. Now, this is really a a book of introspection. That's what I get from it. You're causing us to think about who Mm -hmm. we are and not Mm -hmm. so much what we think we are, right? Right. I mean, we may think, well, I'm a teacher, I'm a businessman, a businesswoman, I'm I'm a doctor, but you're de- you're going deeper into each one of us. Absolutely. Not only who we are, but how we relate to each other and how we relate to different groups in our culture and how we relate to the planet. Um, you know, basically introspection about interpersonal and interpersonal relationships. We're all spirit, as you say. Absolutely. Beautiful light beings, as a, a Buddhist say. Uh, I do identify as a Buddhist, as a Wiccan, and as a spiritual person. So how did this all come about, Anthony? How did you get into this way of thinking, way of living, and then how did this book come about? Okay, how this came about is, um, well, what did they they say, a cautionary tale? Or um, basically, um, growing up African-American in the South, uh, getting exposed to Southern Baptist religion and the hypocrisy there and the racism there and the sexism there and the homophobia there. Uh, it just never resonated with me. So I've always considered myself to be spiritual, even though I was forced to go to church as a child. I didn't have a choice. Uh, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people had to endure that. But um, as I got into education, um, you know, earning my degrees and uh, going to different workshops uh, and also teaching, I got exposed to Eastern philosophy. And that just resonated more with me. It just fit my personality more uh, regarding to, you know, mutual loving kindness for everyone, uh, reverence for the parent. And uh, basically, uh, anti-ism, ism, uh, which uh, again, you picked out one of the uh, one of my writings, sickness, which kind of talks about the isms. So even though I grew up with isms, um, I never um, related to them. I mean, I never identified with them. And even though I received the consequences of them, uh, I never saw that as valid or true. And so basically the book came about is over the years through personal and professional development. Uh, you know, I would just write things down and, you know, just put it in a drawer. <laughs> just write things down and put it in a drawer. And, um, you know, it's classic, you know, when I get around to it, I'm going to learn how to play a piano. When I get around to it, you know, I'm going to take a trip when I get around to it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so basically I decided I got around to it and published a book. Well, in the format of the book, very different, short, brief thoughts in prose, in poem, 
mm-hmm. as poems. Uh, you think brevity is very important, don't you? Yes, I do, because I think if, if you go on and on and on, you kind of lose uh, the meaning. And also, I think it's, uh, I mean, I think it's a very, you know, accepted viewpoint that, like, when a book is turned into a movie, most people prefer the book over the movie. You're familiar with that for my phenomenon, right, right? Right. And I think that's because when you have the book, you have your imagination. Whereas with a movie, the producers and directors kind of put everything out there for you. You know what I mean? So I think by having brevity, you kind of plant the seed, and then the reader can kind of fill in the blanks, you know, can kind of make it their own. By making it their own, then they can really get the message or they can really interpret it in a way that makes sense to them. In fact, there is a notion that, that people can't teach you anything that you don't already know. Are you familiar with that? Right. Well, you know it from within, correct? Exactly. So basically, you're getting exposed to something that you already know. So you're triggering so, these innermost under this really this not only innermost feelings but inner, innermost truth that exists in all of us. Right. Absolutely. And, and it's all been said before, and you know, in different ways. Uh, Why the you know poetic I mean? form? Why the poetic form? Uh, because I think poetry is is is, is, is again and it's simple and it's not arduous. And, and again, it just gives me, it gave me the fluidity, you know, to write something for four lines or five words or 25 words, you know what I mean? And, and also, right, so it's not like a workshop, where the workshop is a specific uh, format that you need to follow. And it's that form because I wanted to exercise poetic license. <laughs> In fact, while, while I was writing my book and while I was getting edited, you know, um, I got into, you know, conflicts with my editors because they said, oh, you need to change this to that so people will know that. And I think, well, if I change this to that, it won't be my word. It'll be your word. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, before we talk about No One, the author of this book, uh, let's hear from you. Why don't you read one of your favorites? Now, here's one of my favorites, Perfection. That's page 23, if you're following along. Go ahead. Do you have it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Perfection is the popular projected illusion that is really poison. Poison that destroys our sense of self-worth, self-esteem, and confidence by allowing us to think that we are less than or not good enough, don't measure up, have failed, and are consequently failures. Purge the poison. Know that nothing is truly perfect. Hence, you don't have to be either. Expend effort and energy toward and for your goals, remembering that a steady stream of water cuts fissures and caverns into mountains. Again, everyone, that's coming from no one because Anthony has this view of life, a unique view that I think when you explain this, we'll understand, Anthony. Now, give us, you know, An give explanation us the, of yeah. perfection. Okay. Well, part of it, of course, uh, again, saying I'm from the South, I'm African American, right? So racism is that there are certain races that are perfect, right? <laughs> And if you're not that race, you're imperfect. Uh-huh. And then you have body image, 
you have social economic status, you have religious belief or spiritual belief. I mean, basically all the isms that said you are or not perfect. Um, and then you have this huge obsession with competition. And that was the non- one of the also one of the, my major uh, motivations for this piece is because the focus is on winning versus being a good sport. A good example is I play volleyball, also play Scrabble, but by most, yeah, it's, it's more um, flagrant or apparent on the volleyball court because some people are obsessed with winning, whereas I like to have, you know, I like to get the vitamin D, I like to be at the beach, I like the sunshine, and I like to exercise. Yes, I like to play a, a good game, but if I win, I don't need to beat my chest, and if I lose, I don't need to you know, start yelling or throwing balls or cursing or getting upset. <laughs> so <laughs> to me, the journey is a definite destination. So our culture, especially American culture, is obsessed with perfection. You know, it kind of it goes on align with that. Well, nurses are people who can't be doctors. Have you heard that before? Yes. Right, exactly. Whereas a person may be perfectly fine being a nurse. What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. So... We are perfect, and there's no such thing as imperfection. And I know some religious people say, well, we're perfect because God made you that way. Um, I don't necessarily need that. I just think we are perfect. And so if you embrace the idea that you're perfect, then any changes that you can make or want to make, it's because you want to make, not because someone says, oh, you have to do this in order to be perfect. And then... And the other problem with being perfect is, like, once you do that, then you're going to have to do something else. <laughs> if someone else, you know, if somebody says, oh, you need a nose job, you know, oh, you need to leave 20 pounds. Well, now you need to do this. Now you need to do that. It never ends. If someone's validating who you are as a person, you'll never live up to that standard. So, but when you embrace yourself as I am perfect and accept yourself for who you are, then you can decide what you want to do. And it'll be because you want to do it, not because you need to do it to meet some standard. Anthony is a licensed clinical social worker and a personal and professional life coach. He also conducts weekly dating and relationship groups. And he's a business consultant. So how does this way of thinking help you in these different areas of your life? Um, it helps me because basically the whole idea of perfection, uh, of course, puts um, a huge strain on one's self-esteem. And so businesses have self-esteem, the way they treat their customers, the way they treat their um, uh, clients, their, you know, the way they treat their employees, how upper management communicates, etc., uh, families have self-esteem, relationships have self-esteem, and of course everyone else has self-esteem. So again, if you come from the viewpoint of acceptance and growth and encouragement and empathy, then that facilitates the, the healthy functioning of whatever system you're working with, whether it's a family, whether it's a company, whether it's a relationship. As we conclude our discussion about Anthony's book, I wanted to have you read, Anthony, your titled poem 
ownership. I think that kind of really focuses in on what we have been discussing. Ownership. You do not belong to your gender, race, culture, religion, city, state, county, country, parents, partners, lovers, children, government, sexuality, political party affiliation, social class, school, college, occupation, significant other, spouse, or any others you can think of. You belong only to self. Hence, primary loyalty is to Anthony. Therefore, it is permissible and okay to say no to any or all of them. True fulfillment and happiness will be yours, see, when you are able to say no to others and yes to thee. We need to say yes to ourselves more often. Absolutely. And by saying yes to yourself, you really are being respectful to everyone else in your life. Because when you're saying no to yourself, um, again, from a clinical standpoint, you're being passive or passive-aggressive, and eventually that energy is going to come out, and there's going to be resentment. Okay? So it's like... uh, a bottle as water on a um, on a burner. Eventually, you know, it's going to overflow, <laughs> and then you're going to get you're going to hurt yourself more, and you're going to hurt the relationship more, or the people sense people more. So people think you know being a yes man or being compliant is a good thing, but you know it's not okay to be compliant or to Again, think that these, you know, constructs that I've written down on you, because once you do, you put yourself in a box, or basically you create your own uh, prison, your own hell, uh, so to speak. It's kind of interesting because I like to go to like aquariums and zoos, and some people say to me, "Well, Anthony, what? You know, how can you go see those caged animals?" I'm like, "Well, I can go see those caged animals because I love." Tigers, and I'm not going to Africa. <laughs> and aren't we all in cages anyway? You know, and so that creates a whole other conversation, right? Like, are we all in a cage? You know, oh, I can't do this because I'm too old, or I can't do this because I'm too young, or I can't do this because that seems stupid, or I can't do this because it's too risky. I mean, so the cages are in our brain or in our mind. We've been talking with Anthony Rogers. He's no one as the author of Ethereal Mantras, Affirmations, and Notions for Placid and Peaceful Earth Plane Transversal. That is a mouthful, but his thoughts, his prose, his poetry causes us to reflect and to dig deep into who we really are. Anthony, tell us what's the best way to get your book. The best way to get my book is on Amazon.com. Uh, you can get hard copy and an e-copy. Put the title in, and um, it'll be there for you. It's also available on iTunes. Speaking of, you know, dreams and who you are, when I wrote the beat book, I resided in Santa Monica. Now I'm in Maui, the most popular 
island in the world. I don't know, <laughs> as, as proclaimed by CNN News. So that uh, was part of my dream to move to Hawaii. So I've been here for eight months. Um, so if you're in Maui, um, you can give me a call at 310-386-1808 and I can sell you a signed copy. And also my email is lifecoachacr at aol.com, lifecoachacr at aol.com. If you'd like to get a copy that way, you can reach, I can be reached there. Well, Anthony, you're the most interesting no one I've ever talked to. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for being with us. Have a great day. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. In the 1950s, kids were about baseball, the Lone Ranger, and apple pie. In the 60s, it was war, finding your freedom in the monkeys. The 1970s brought disco, the Brady Bunch, and self-empowerment. When the 80s arrived, the youth of the world celebrated individuality in a rocking beat. The 90s whizzed by with lots of grunge and many shades of gray. Now, the turn of the century has come and gone, and today's youth has something to say. Young Mind Society is the voice of a new generation. Tune in on astronetradio.com Fridays at 6 p.m. Central to hear DJ Y, Carl Papa, Queen Meat, and Princess Jazz lay down the humor, ideas, and thoughts of the now. Remember, Young Mind Society, Fridays at 6 p.m. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Total Package Girl, Discover the Ultimate You for Life. And this book is quickly climbing the Amazon charts and soon will be a number one bestseller, I believe. Joining me from her offices in Ohio is author Christy K. Hoffman. Thank you, Christy, for joining me today. Good morning. Good to be here. Good to talk with you. I've looked over your book and find it fascinating. There uh, certainly is a, a lot of uh, lot of material in your book, almost 300 pages. There must have been something that uh, struck your interest in this area, and uh, is there something in your early life that uh, caused you to want to write this book, or what was your motivation behind it? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I have been mentoring and working with young girls, uh, 11 to 17, for a couple of decades now. I have watched the evolution of issues that impact and face our girls today. And it's everything from mean girls to cyberbullying to issues of cutting and eating disorders and Mm. identity issues. All of those things, as I go out and speak to girls across the country and different groups, I recognize that this is getting worse, not better for our teen girls and our preteen girls. I have spent about the last four years researching Total Package Girl and developing success tools. I actually call them secret weapons within the book so that girls can stay strong and start to navigate some of these issues. Fabulous. Your your personal motivation, as, as well as observing what's happening in the culture, is there anything else that got you on this track or got you focused on this journey? I think in my younger years, I saw bullying, and at that time, we didn't really label it as such. We kind mm. of 
dealt with it and watched kids kind of move away from schools or be picked on incessantly. And that's something that motivated me highly as I started writing this book and researching it is those issues are here today, but compounded by social media, by, you know, the Snapchat, being left out of the Snapchat stories and Instagram. Are you liked? Are you not liked? Are you retweeted? Are you not retweeted? Uh, that is that new sort of, a, I call it a cyber popularity world. Mm-hmm. And if you're not a part of that, you really, really see these girls kind of thinking through, do I want to commit suicide? Do I what? want to move away? Do I want to withdraw? Do I want to turn to drugs? So I've been talking with girls, as I said, across the country and hearing their stories. And when I tie my background and my youth and my teenage years and all the way through to right now, I can truly identify with some of these girls. And I want so badly for each girl to have a tool in a book like this on her nightstand that she can say, I can go to this book. I can feel like I am never alone. You have, uh, again, almost 300 pages. Describe for my listeners a little of the style of your book, because it's not just a lecture series. It's uh, more than that. It's motivational. It has other elements. Yes. Okay, so three years into writing this book, I looked at the book and I thought, hmm, this is flat. It doesn't have a lot of interaction, and it needs to be more vibrant, if you will. So I copied my manuscript. I handed it to many, many girls with a red pen, and I said, go at it, have at it. What would make this much more interesting for you, more fun? So after doing that, we added a bunch of quizzes and get-to-know-me-better kinds of activities. Super fun. I added inspirational quotes. I added hashtags. Uh, We all worked together and kind of had great input from the girls and uh, teens, and it has just, it changed it. So then that was three years in. Then it took me about another year to add the quizzes and the hashtags and the quotes and such, and we have these great tools for success, like bully action plans and being positive and how to learn how to deal with difficult people and you know, shutting out negativity and all those fun things that uh, really I think the activities help the girls to work through some of these difficult issues. And uh, our feedback then, once the book got published, was, wow, this is a really fun book, but it's also super informative, and it really helps me... Uh, understand that somebody is with me on this, somebody gets it, and that I'm never alone. It's fabulous. You have uh, broken it down into four distinct parts. Uh, The first part is Meet the Unstoppable Total Package Girl. Mm -hmm. uh, Part two, Five Secret Weapons of the Total Package Girl. Package, or package, actually, part three, absolute reality. Reality is something that uh, teenagers like to escape from, and some adults. Uh, part four, be the total package girl for life. Now, this, the elements of your, of your book and of your philosophy and of your teaching really are gearing someone to go beyond their teen years and surviving those, but also use it later in life. Would that be uh, the right observation? It sure would be. In fact, part four that you're talking about is the master plan. So if you take the term literally, total package girl, the total package is her body, her brain, and her spirit. And so many times we emphasize for girls and women simply the physical. Uh, You see the images in the media, on magazines, and in social media, everywhere. And so this takes it beyond that, helps each girl develop her own strategies for success and her own master plan for her body, her brain, and her spirit. And so by the time she finishes reading the book, she has her own kind of uh, GPS that she's following in her own path, her own master plans to be a total package girl. And I agree completely with what you said. This becomes a strategy for life. You take these tools. If girls can learn these tools at this young age, 
my goodness, they will be so much more successful in their lives because it's basically instilling confidence early uh, in their teen years, and they can then proceed to navigate the workforce and you know, relationships as they go forward, friendships. It really gives them some great secret weapons to navigate some of those things for life. And your book has uh, sort of a question and answer or uh, maybe an observational element to it where the reader can take an idea or concept and try to apply it right there on the spot uh, into areas that they might be dealing with. This is something that could be an extension of a diary, perhaps, or some other lifestyle uh, growth pattern that they might develop. Mm-hmm, that's true. Uh, and it could take something as specific as bullying or anti-bullying, and there's an action plan for that. Or it might be something like, who are my true blue friends? We use the term true blue often because in life, we want to make sure that we're surrounded by positive people, uh, solid friendships. And sometimes, it, you know, it's, it's tough to find who's not going to throw us under the bus. Uh, let's find one friend, and that friend might be a grandparent, it might be a neighbor, or it might be a parent or a sibling, but whoever that person is, we're having, we have sections in the book that allow girls to kind of journal and write down, these are my true blues, this is who I turn to, this is the action step I'm going to take should I be bullied, this is how I help a friend of mine if they're in a situation, and this is how I deal with peer pressure moments and what I'm never going to let happen. And there's even a part, as you mentioned, where they can develop their own little mantra So if they're walking down the beach and they're feeling very insecure about their body image because they have a bathing suit on and somebody made fun of them for being, you know, you know, called them a name or something, uh, they have a little mantra. And we say, here, write your mantra in this section of the book. And always remember that and go back to that so that you can rock your body image and not feel insecure or anything less than confident in who you are. You've mentioned cutting in your opening statements that there uh, are some elements of that in our society among girls. Where do you think that began and or how long ago did that begin, and what do you think is motivating it? Well, boy, that's a real personal issue, and oftentimes I'll say I leave that to, you know, on an individual level to the counselor or someone who's working with that girl. Good. But uh, I can say some of those issues, such as cutting or eating disorders, they stem from things that could tie to perfection issues. I'm not perfect, uh, so therefore I'm not good enough. So it kind of goes back, if you back that up a little further, it ties to self-esteem, self-worth, uh, negative comments that are repeatedly stated to a person uh, can really lead to feeling inadequate. So this is why Total Package Girl is such a relevant and critical book for girls, is that they can begin to feel like, yes, I am relevant, just as I am, I am perfect, just as I am. I call it imperfectly perfect. We all are. And I am good enough just as I am. So that girls start to feel like, okay, I don't need to turn to these other things, whether it's, you know, thinking about doing drugs or, or um, something tied to cutting or eating disorders, but to say, you know what, I look darn good just as I am. Mm. I've talked to some girls who will say, I don't even want to look in the mirror because I feel so ugly. And I'll say, well, wow. you know, gosh, I, I don't see that at all. And they'll say, well, it's because people have repeatedly told me that since I was you know, since I can remember. Wow. So Total Package Girl is really, really hope, you know, we're hoping to get kind of on the front end of some of these issues so that uh, drugs, alcohol, teen suicides, all of those things are prevented in the long term or the shorter term, actually, in some cases. What's the youngest age that would uh, be able to absorb the contents of your book, do you think? Well, boy, you know, I would say sometime uh, 10, 10 years of age uh, is the youngest, I would say, for Total Package Girl. Uh, 11 to 17 is kind of the sweet spot in terms of girls really 
dealing with and navigating some of these issues. We do learn, and some of the Girl Scouts of the USA research would also tell you that girls do tend to lose some of their, their positive comments about body and some of their positive feelings about their body by the age of 10. Wow. I mean, there are girls who are going on diets at the age of 10 because they don't feel they look, quote-unquote, good enough. And so I think the age of 10 on is a great age for girls to read Total Package Girl. And frankly, I've had moms read it with their daughters. Again, this is not a, a parenting book. This is a book directly for girls to read. But I have also said to moms, dads, and grandparents, if you read this along with your daughter or your grandchild, uh, what a great opportunity for you to understand some of the issues that they're navigating and to open up the dialogue with them on what they're feeling, what they're facing, and some of those things that are really front and center in their lives that you might not have known about had you not had Total Package Girl. I think you brought up a good point. Uh, Parents and grandparents possibly would be a a, a good source for reading a book of this nature. Sometimes the self-image thing is systemic in a family, and perhaps the mom or grandparent or someone else in the family has carried forward that negative thought process. That could very well be the case. Sometimes I do find in talking with the thousands of girls I speak with on, a ra- on an annual basis, we, you know, I'm talking across the country. And, yes, yeah, sometimes the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Mm. Uh, so there's, there is that, to be sure. Uh, but I do feel like an awareness, if you can get a book like this in a girl's hands to at least open her eyes to some of the strategies and the success tools that she can use, is something, something very simple, perhaps, on if you're, if you're being picked on or you're being bullied, just having what I call confident eyes so that you're not revealing anything that looks like you're weaker than you are or um, perhaps uh, you know, uh, coming across to someone as very confident is all it takes sometimes. So, yes, I agree with that. Is there anything about preparing this book and the contents that was really a difficult challenge for you? I know that you mentioned that you, you did give it to some other readers to get their input. Was there anything else that perhaps uh, people will discover as they read your book? Uh, something, let's see here, something that what was difficult yet uh, eye-opening for me is hearing the stories. I know on our website, uh, the Total Package Girl website, we do have testimonials through our YouTube channel of some of the, the very difficult stories that I heard from girls along the way. And sometimes it's just very tough to hear mm. what the struggles are that they're going through. And it just, your heart breaks when you hear the hurt and the pain. But... On the bright side of that, I really feel that if they can read Total Package Girl, they know they are not alone. They can get through that. This is a moment, hopefully in time, that will pass, that they will be stronger and they will be able to kind of build on that and not feel uh, that they can kind of um, circumvent issues that may be coming their way in the future. That is what I hope for Total Package Girl. It is really tough, though, I will tell you, to hear the difficulties our 21st century girls face today. It's quite daunting when you see some of the hashtags that are used. Hashtag GKY, go kill yourself. Mm. That's a common common hashtag now. Can you imagine receiving that? Can you imagine Mm. some of the, the, the negative pictures and posts and verbiage that's going on with our girls and receiving that on your own? We really have to teach our girls to be strong and powerful from within. That's why we have Total Package Girl. Uh, Christy, I I have enjoyed uh, looking over this book. There must be maybe a sequel in the works. What are your plans for the future? 
there is a sequel. It is called Total Package Professional, which will take girls from that next, or from the Total Package Girl years of 11 to 17 or 10 to 17 into kind of that young professional chapter of their lives, navigating college and then getting into the workforce. Additionally, I am working on a workbook for guys oh, they in need that help. teenage year <laughs> called The Total Guy. Wonderful. Well, those are uh, some exciting plans for the future. Hope to visit with you when those are completed. Thank you. Very difficult subject, but you've done a fabulous job in uh, presenting the ways that teens and preteen girls can gain personal self-confidence and improve their attitude about their life and their self-image. Title again is Total Package Girl, subtitled Discover the Ultimate You for Life. My guest has been award-winning television producer and past TV media personality with PBS, Christy K. Hoffman. Christy, my listeners need to get a copy of this. How do they do so? They can get one on Amazon.com, Total Package Girl. They can go to BarnesandNoble.com. They can go to our website, Total Package Girl, and click over and get it that way as well. They can plug in and find out more about your work in this area. Thank you again for sharing your story. Again, your website is... My website is TotalPackageGirl.com, and I hope we can spread the word and every person listening can grab a copy and, and help our preteen and teen girls be strong. Uh, thank you for sharing your story and sharing this important topic with us today. Again, the title is Total Package Girl. Discover the ultimate you for life. Christy K. Hoffman has been my guest. Thank you, Christy, for joining me today. Thank you. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker.